I want to introduce our guest. This is Sam Guckenheimer. And do I say that right, Sam? That's I, I was, fine. I was Thank you. <laughs> I was practicing on the way here. <laughs> um, we're really honored to have you here. It's been great. And I know you've been doing a number of events um, here. Today we're going to be talking about agile software delivery. And um, I will actually let Jonathan take over from here. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that. You actually did the introduction for me, so I guess I won't have to do that again. But um, the only addition to that, actually, is welcome to Canada. Now, yeah. is this your, your first time in Canada? Oh, no, I've been here several times. Um, thanks for bringing me to Toronto. Wonderful. Um, and everybody's been good to you so far? Everybody's been great to me. I've, been, uh, I, I've gotten my, my uh, um, uh, chance to sing for my supper. This is event number five in two days. Busy guy. Well, we're honored to have you here with us on the show, that's for sure. So I'm, uh, I've been having a great time. I did two talks at the Test Track Symposium and uh, um, an executive uh, lunch yesterday. And then last night we had this room full of developers and uh, went for a couple hours with demos of the uh, Visual Studio 11 product line. And nice. Um, we went over, everyone stayed, it was, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Perfect. I hope they're not working you too hard or else you'll never come back and visit us. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back, don't worry. Okay, good, good. Well, that's, I mean, that's great. So actually, um, for those that don't know you, um, and, and as much as we've had it up on the blogs and online and everything like that, what is it that you've been talking about over these last couple of days? Well, uh, I, am, I have this dream job, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm what... Um, uh, the, the, in Scrum or Agile, you'd call the product owner for the Visual Studio product line. So, so my job is 50-50, uh, getting out to meet with customers and uh, users of our products and 50% working with the product teams and worrying about where we need to take the product line. Um, I work uh, across everything that we do in the product line, from Team Foundation server which is, of course, the <clears throat> collaboration hub we have in, uh, in the VS product line to all of the client editions from Express, which, uh, as you know, is the uh, free, not-for-charge edition of Visual Studio to uh, professional, premium, and ultimate. Um, and um, uh, my job is to think about where we need to go to make the whole better than the sum of the parts. Wonderful. So you are the Visual Studio guy. As I'm sort of. I mean, <laughs> there, there are a thousand of us. Fair enough. In the organization, I report to you know the vice president, Jason Zanders, my boss, and and uh, there there in round numbers, a thousand of us reporting to Jason. Um, uh, I'm the one guy on his staff who doesn't have a significant chunk of that thousand. Um, uh, so I get to s sort of be the, um, you know, a little out there. Got it. Good. Well, that's perfect. So, but effectively, agile is your thing, right? And yeah, I, I just, um, I... Uh, yeah, I understand you wrote a book, didn't you? I was just going to say, book? I'm like, <laughs> if agile is not your thing, um, <laughs> agile software engineering with Visual Studio is the name of your book, and so... <laughs> I would assume Agile is your yeah, thing. Yeah, Agile's kind of my thing. <laughs> okay. um, so I um, just came out with a new book. Um, it's uh, a combination of the why and the how. So why we did the things in the Visual Studio product line that we've done, 
um, in uh, uh, the VS 2010 as a whole. This includes, of course, Team Foundation Server. And then how you apply them on a practical basis in a team. Um, so it's, it, uh, I had two design criteria for the book. The idea was I wanted something short enough and appealing enough and frankly with enough pictures that you could read it in a transcontinental flight or a, a trans-oceanic flight if you were going to Europe or Asia and that when you landed you'd say, I want to hand this to my boss. Got it. Cool. Okay, so, um, you know, there's a saying, it's, it's, it's harder to write something short than something long. Um, and we focused on the, the short and to the point. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a book that is, um, here's one code example after another. It's, it's a book about very much the why we're going this way. The first chapter, for example, is, is called The Agile Consensus and is very much about how we see the emerging mainstream of agile thought and how that's moving into the mainstream of the enterprise and and the bulk of how we do software today. So then I have a very similar challenge for you then. In, in, if we go with the same, by the end of this hour that we're doing the show here, everyone here um, in the room and everyone online uh, should be able to know exactly what agile is, go back to their company and go implement. Possible? Easy. Done. So actually, I'm going I'm to start with it because I'm, I'm actually the newbie uh, when it comes to Agile. Uh, and our audience is both development managers and infrastructure managers. And um, so can you tell me a little bit about what Agile is in the simplest form? Okay, I'm going to start by telling you what it's not. Okay, oh. that's, that's perfect. Good. Okay, so I brought along a little aid. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> Now this, by the way, is the first on the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hold, hold first on the so show. The, the okay, so get it. I want to tell you where all this comes from. Okay, so um, back in the 90s, we used to talk about the Iron Triangle as the uh, constraint under which we govern software. And people would talk about time, resources, and functionality. Yep. Okay. And that was the Iron Triangle. Okay, the smarter people figured out that there was also quality, so actually they discovered maybe it wasn't a triangle but a tetrahedron. Okay, so there were four sides. Um, and you'd get into these arguments in every project meeting. Well, if you want more of this, you've got to give me more of that, right? And the thing about this triangle thinking or this tetrahedron thinking is if you try to pull it apart, it breaks. Yeah. It's a rigid shape, okay? Um, and it, it just falls apart, okay? That's what Agile is not, okay? Um, that was the iron triangle thinking of the 90s. Yeah. Okay? What if instead you had a shape that's perhaps a little messy. I'm worried now. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. <laughs> that wow. had a lot of points you could grab onto. My kids would love that. <laughs> okay. And you said, well, 
Let's look at specifically where we need to pull on it. And when we pulled on it, and when we want a little bit more of this, we got a little bit more of that, mm. and it continually expanded. Oh. Sounds familiar. <laughs> OK. Yeah. What if instead of thinking about the iron triangle that breaks on us, we had a flow that continually expanded? How is that, when you're dealing with the product, though, isn't that scope creep? Okay, so that, that's what the iron triangle is. Right. I mean, and it's, it's interesting okay. that you say that. I mean, I don't come from a development standpoint. I come, I come from an infrastructure background. Before coming to my, about five, seven years ago, I was doing a lot of deployments. And I know the iron triangle very well because even though it came from the development project, um, world, we used it for for uh, deployments and, and software rollouts. You know, when you're doing the scope of a project. So if I were still doing that, um, your little purple ball there would scare the heck out of me. Well, the agile response would be to say instead of thinking everything, instead of thinking of everything as a fixed stock where you have to understand it all once and get it right once yeah. because it's brittle and it will fall apart if you don't get the pieces to fit right in their unique configuration. Instead, think of it as a cycle in which you go through many times. Nice. So the agile approach or indeed the lean approach, which is where this, a lot of this thinking comes from, is to think in terms of flow and to say, we'll do a little bit and go through the cycle and then inspect and adapt. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll understand what we can do better after we do it once. And we'll do it a second time and we'll inspect and adapt and we'll do it better than the third time, and so forth. And we'll keep doing these many small increments as often as we can and keep getting better at it. Okay. So indeed, when you keep doing this, you create a continuous flow. And this leads to what I think of as one of the three values that have become I think the consensus values of Agile, a continuous flow of value, value stated in customer terms mm -hmm. that we try to deliver. So unlike the 90s, when we said, we need to get all of the decisions right in the beginning and make yeah. all of the big decisions up front when we know the least and have no experience on which to make them. Which, by the way, is the way most companies operate still. Is that accurate? I would say it's the way some companies operate still. Fair enough. Okay. Larger development shops and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I would be cautious. I think we're, I think what I'm describing as a shift from the static 
thinking of the past to an emphasis on flow has largely crossed to mainstream. Um, um, so I think the first, the first principle is really focus on flow of value to the customer, mm -hmm. okay? And think constantly of creating that flow of value. The second one is to look for sources of waste in that flow, impediments that block the flow of value, the specific things that are wrong, okay? And to try to remove those sources of waste. And the third is to create an environment of trustworthy transparency so that you can spot those sources of waste and remove them. Another analogy I'd use, Ruth, which, which will go to your uh, situation is if you, um, uh, if you go back to your, your situation and, and you contrast an iron triangle mindset to an agile mindset, um, if you think of a kitchen sink, Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, you say, uh, it, and the sink is blocked. Okay. Pouring more into the kitchen sink isn't going to get more water to flow off the bottom. Yeah, I, <coughs> I linked out the hard way actually just last Friday. <laughs> so that, that particular story is a... My uh, kids don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> right, kids don't get that. Yeah. Right. You, yeah, apparently um, I didn't either. <laughs> my, yeah. kids, my kids and Jonathan don't get that. <laughs> right, okay. If your build server isn't running, mm -hmm. if you don't have a good build automation and continuous integration... Checking in more code isn't going to produce more working software. Yep. Yeah. Okay, it's the equivalent <laughs> of pouring more water into the kitchen sink and getting your feet wet and your floor ruined. You're just building up technical debt. Yep. You need to fix the build automation first. Right. And get continuous integration flowing so that you can get working software out the end. So Sam, all of these things, though, um, that you're talking about totally make sense, and it's a completely different way of thinking than your, you know, your traditional, traditional, like you said, iron triangle or waterfalls or anything like that. When it comes time to it, I know a lot of, um, when I talk to a lot of development managers and especially developers, right away what I get is, oh, that's a lot of overhead. It's a lot easier to figure it all out up front, and then we just go and we go and we do it, and methodology like that adds up uh, overhead. Do you, do you not think that just because they haven't experienced a new method? I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying, so how do you when, when, yeah, when how you do get you? that, right, and, and someone says to you, well, ALM or application lifecycle management, agile, formal methodologies, all of these things in a software delivery project, too much overhead. What's the business case to say it's actually, you know what, it's actually not? Well, you've said lots of things. So the, the first thing I say is, how's it working for you now? <laughs> Depends on whether they're going to be honest with you or not. Yeah. Um, I wonder what would yeah. happen if I said that. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, my, you know, the, there's a core fallacy that is usually behind this. And, and the core fallacy is that uh, building software is like building bridges and roads, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, uh, when we build bridges and roads... Um, we try to do the next bridge and the next road just like we did the last one, okay? 
and that makes total sense, okay? When we build software, um, things are a little bit different, okay? I, if I went to my boss and I said, here's a proposal for why we should do a payroll system, I'd be fired. Okay, that's a solved problem. Okay, anyone who wants a payroll system can uh, buy one, use ADP, use QuickBooks, use whatever they want. Okay, it's cheaper, it's more reliable, it's available. Okay, no one's going to build the stuff for the solved problems in software. By definition, if we're building software, we're building to differentiate, okay? Because that's, that's where we're using software in the business. So we're building in areas where we're taking on risk. We're solving unknown problems. We're solving problems that have typically some business risk because we're pushing the edge of customer expectation and trying to do market differentiation where customer expectations will change, where competitors are gonna make moves, and we're applying new technology where customer expectations are high, where technology's gonna change. Those things compound each other, and that means we're kind of living on the edge of chaos here. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, on the edge Sorry. of, everything's changing all the time. Bingo. This is the beauty of this okay. industry to begin yeah. with, right? So, that's, that is the beauty of this industry. That's frankly what, <laughs> That's what makes it fun, that's why we're here, that's what attracts a lot of us. Yeah. But it means that assuming that we can make all the important decisions now, when we don't have the information about what the reality is gonna be in the future, is a completely fallacious assumption. Future is hard to predict. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. And so, the only sane approach to manage that risk is to do a little bit, see what you've got, inspect, and adapt. Mm -hmm. Do a little bit more, see what you've got, inspect, and adapt. And that's what we're talking about here, right? Now, that's not by itself creating any overhead, okay? The oh, it shouldn't be. If it is, if then, done correctly, then, shouldn't. Then they're maybe not doing it correctly. Right. If that's creating overhead, it's coming from someplace else. Someplace else. Yeah. Okay. Um, the overhead is much is much greater in the other case where you try to create a big plan up front in the face of all of this uncertainty and then manage to a plan that doesn't accommodate the shifting reality around the plan. I do remember, I remember as a consultant sitting there and basically, yeah, trying to predict the future, trying to, trying to put in, and really, 
uh, when you when I think back to it, I mean, <laughs> you know, the methodology we're using would create a lot of really great documentation, and we could always identify when there was scope creep or when well that wasn't in the requirements, you know, and so we have, you know you're doing billing and and everything, you know, and we would always try to do the best that we could, but I wish that I had known about this back then, because this, to me, um, seems much more natural, the way yeah. things are, instead of trying to um, push a, uh, a model or a formulation on something that isn't natural. And let me ask you, Ruth, did yeah. you ever have a customer come up to you afterwards and thank you for having shipped a great spec? <laughs> or having having delivered oh, an absolutely yeah. Actually, out of the box risk great. list. Yeah, yeah, uh, not no. I can't I can't recall ever having that having happened. But I, it yeah. gave me great satisfaction as a consultant saying, look look here's my here's my right. yeah. here's your document. Right. You got your sign off. Good right. to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. I hear you. And then let me guess, you hand it off to the developers. And yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, done. Yeah. Well, right? they're all de they're all deployment uh, oh, projects, enough. so fair enough. Uh, they very similar. I remember when I used to work with uh, you know with with business users and stuff like that. They would give me requirements, and at the at the end of the day, they only know what they know when they know it, right? Which is exactly what you said. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, we have a great document. At the time, it's accurate. Yeah. By the time you're done, even the first module, let's say a month later. The business world has changed. Things change. And I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that a lot of people need to wrap their head around is that there is that change. Once you design a spec and, and, and go for it, that doesn't mean that the world around you doesn't change. Doesn't change, yeah. Right. Exactly. It, the world is changing, so embrace it. Yeah. And you want to be able to innovate. I mean, that's the, the key thing to innovation is being able to see what's happening, be able to react to it, or be able to anticipate stuff before, you know what I mean, and, and, and change it up and, and, and be creative. Um, but you can't do that if you've got this box that you're, you're set right. in. So let me ask you this then. Um, and we had a great question uh, from, from the audience right before we started. You're, you're in the, you call it, I believe, the 90s mentality, right? You're doing things the waterfalls way. When is the right time, or is there a right time, to switch over to working um, with Agile? And more importantly, um, is it one of those things where you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm doing different? Or is it a gradual process? Or what, what's that transformation? Well, there's, there's no great circuit breaker in the sky that you suddenly grab and pull and say, um, Today we throw away everything we have and start over. That's folly. Okay. Um, I wonder what the reaction would be from, from the development team if that was the case. Just uh, walk yeah. in one day and say, you know what, today we're doing it differently. Um, <laughs> Mutiny. Yeah. Um, obviously, you uh, adopt things and you change stepwise, and you fix things where they hurt the most. Typically, um, in organizations that have been going for some time, one of the biggest issues to, to deal with is this big shadow ha hanging over people's heads of technical debt. Mm. Um, and the uh, technical debt is you know, the, it, it's the elephant in the conference room that no one wants to talk about. Yes. Tell, tell me a bit about technical debt. <clears throat> well, technical debt is uh, the term 
for the undone work that gets left behind from all the previous projects mm -hmm. or all the previous work. The 20% that you never get to from the 80-20. Uh, the uh, quote 20%, <laughs> okay, that's more likely Fair than enough. 200%. Fair enough, I agree. Okay. Um, so uh, this, is, this is the big fallacy. So um, uh, these are those bugs that were never discovered until you deployed mm -hmm. or that were filed and not fixed. These are those tests that were broken. A broken test is one where you... Um, run the test and someone says, oh, well, wait a minute, it looks like it passed, but um, I need to double check and make sure uh, <laughs> the data was set up right. Uh, or, That's never happened, though. No. <laughs> never happened. Yeah, or it looks like it failed and, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure that was running in the right production like lab or right. what have you. Um, uh, or the um, integrations that still need to be done, or all the things that stand in the way of maintenance that lets you move the software forward to the next thing, that just, you know, turn into this big ball of mud that slows you down and slows you down and slows you down until you, you can't move forward. And sometimes the answer is that you have so much accumulated debt on a system that you have to take a strategy of isolate and gradually start over. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you take a strategy of we're going to go through an investment in explicitly removing the debt. Um, uh, but you need to be very conscious about a definition of done that doesn't allow debt accumulation and that deals with removing the inherited debt. I mean, it, 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 is, ex it is exactly parallel to the current world financial crises, the, the mm. issue of managing technical debt. Interesting. I, I tell a story in chapter nine about our own transformation in, in developer division in Microsoft to, to Agile. And um, uh, we now basically uh, put about a sixth of our investment in each product cycle into managing technical debt and, and the engineering system. Wow. Wow. Um, That's uh, significant. Yeah, so we, 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 you know, we made this shift in about 2005, and um, we uh, took a, we had a, we used the slogan, get clean and stay clean, okay? Mm -hmm. And it was about grabbing our debt Naming it all, you know, the first thing was to get it all on the table, name it, 
be visible. So for example, we had all these accumulated bugs and you had to fix them, close them, or put them in the product backlog as planned work. Hmm. So you couldn't carry them in the nebulous state okay. where you'd have to keep rehandling them. And every time you looked at bugs, make a decision once again what to do with them. You made the decision then. Okay, it was worth fixing, and you fixed it. It was big enough that you treated it as work to be scheduled in the next cycle, and it went on the backlog because it was impo that important. Yep. Or you closed it, and you weren't going to look at it again. Similarly with tests. If the tests were meaningful, they had to run unambiguously. If they were redundant <laughs> or too complicated to get to an unambiguous state, throw them away and start over with better tests. So now is this the, all these concepts, what you were talking about before about uh, software waste? Well, yeah. So. Clearly, the idea of looking at a bug every few months <laughs> and spending 10 minutes arguing over yep. whether you should, what <laughs> you should do with it, and having yes. the same discussion is wasteful. It's waste. Right? Yeah. So why not just deal with it? And it's right. the, same, the same concept of, of things that come on into your, your desk and it, you only touch it once. And I think you've, you, we've had this conversation before about efficiencies and, and you can apply that in all sorts of different things. If something comes into your inbox, you touch, touch it once. You either you know, read it, file it, do it, you know what I mean? You touch it once and you deal with it. I, I don't know if, if you can go that far when you're talking about uh, bugs, but it, you save on the, the, the waste of, of looking at it every once in a while and putting it back in the pile and picking it up and looking at it and putting it back in the pile. See, now, but having said that, though, right, I think one of the key challenges as you're, as you're in a development project and you're hands down and you're doing what you need to do, it's very easy to get into that mode of, okay, well, I'll deal with it and keep going, whatever. How do you sort of, what are those signs that you have that say, you know what, as a, I'm a manager, I'm looking at my development project and... You know, when you're in it, it's hard to see, but what are the things that I should be looking for that would indicate to me, you know what, there's probably a problem. Um, we're probably doing a lot of wasteful activities here. Let's stop and take a step back. Well, uh, there, there are things that I'd put in the hygiene category, and then there are things that I'd, I'd say are smells. Okay, okay so there are... <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm processing smell. that. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know where this is <laughs> going. Know, yeah, I'm worried, but I'm okay. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're good hygiene practices, okay? So you need a clear definition of done, hmm. okay? If there isn't a clear definition of done, that is that everyone knows and is publicly posted on the wall or on the web page or what have you, and everyone can point to inside and what have you, and everyone knows what it means to have a, to be done with a requirement or a product backlog item, then that's bad hygiene. Okay. Okay. I mean that's like you know, that that's like your kids not brushing their teeth in the morning. <laughs> okay. Um, 
<laughs> I was looking at Ruth we, and I'm like... We both have small children and I'm thinking, oh yeah, how many times does that happen? Okay. <laughs> okay. Keep going. <laughs> Mother, mother's guilt over here. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there. my son's not quite there yet, yeah. but... Okay, well, your dentists will be talking. <laughs> I know. <laughs>